Good evening. Uh, my name is Kyle. If you don't already know me, don't, uh, didn't get a chance to meet me yet. I'm here with my wife, Christy, over there, and our, our family. You'll see us around. Um, we're really glad to be here this week. Uh, it's, it's fun to be able to be at, back at family camp. Been here a few times over the years, and just to be able to participate in this way. Uh, I was at family camp first many years ago before Pastor Phil was the director and I loved it. I look back fondly at that time. I think I was nine or ten. I look back fondly on it. But at the same time, if both of these things can be true, at the same time, I'm such a homebody. I was homesick that week, even though I was with my family, and we never came back. Um, and I didn't come back. I didn't even try camp again until I was a junior in high school. Uh, and then I regretted not coming back all these years because it was a lot of fun. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad to be here, and I look forward to, to talking with you uh, about many things uh, from God's Word this morning. You can uh, turn in your Bibles if you want uh, to get there while we start. We'll be in mainly Genesis chapter 1 and 2 uh, tonight, uh, and then I'll be continuing with you throughout the morning sessions uh, for the rest of the week. Uh, so you can be turning to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Uh, about the same age when we were coming to family camp up here, um, my brother and I were building a treehouse, and we decided that this other tree nearby was in the way and it needed to go, so we searched for something that could, we could use to chop it down. Uh, did not consult my father, I'm not sure why, I mean, I'm not sure why, but um, we found what we thought was a machete. And even if it had been a machete, you know, like a good Kershaw camp knife, it really wouldn't have done the job of chopping down a tree. Uh, but it wasn't one of those. It was actually just a corn knife. My dad worked for Pioneer, and it was just something he would use to ch chop down thin, lightweight stalks of corn. Uh, so we went to town on the tree, and it took a long time, and it never came down. Uh, was we were not using the right tool for the job. Uh, actually, we were using the tool for something it was not intended to do. Um, and my, my dad eventually did find out, and he was very clear that that is not what the corn knife was for. Uh, on the other hand, sometimes in our lives we find out some things that we never knew something was for. Um, just realized, you know when you unroll the aluminum foil out of the box, on the side of the boxes there's like these little tabs you poke in, it holds the roll in for you while you're rolling it out, so it doesn't pop out. Did you know, who, who knew that? Okay, the other, the, okay, I'm sure my wife did. I just found out recently, um, but I'm happy to see less than half of you raise your hands. You're with me? Good. Um, there's a phrase for that that's trending online for a while. It's called, I was today years old when I found out blank. So that's your today years old for today. Um, I was Googling that phrase just this, this past week. Uh, and I learned something else. Um, that screwdriver handles are hexagonal for a reason. They can fit a socket wrench and help you create more leverage on the screw that you're trying to tighten or loosen. I'm even more embarrassed about that, because I fancy myself as someone who uses tools, and I just learned that. Um, that's a little embarrassing, but uh, 
the reason I'm talking about that is because we're, we're going to talk about our life. Um, you see on the screen there uh, that the, the main theme here is life in four acts. Uh, but the subtitle here, the image of God in the story of man, um, the whole story of human history and the whole story of every one of us is defined by this idea, the image of God. There are a lot of other ideas, a lot of other truths in Scripture, uh, but one significant part of our story and the story of all human history is the image of God. And it tells us who we are. It tells us what we were created for. And if we don't understand that, we may be using the life we've been given in a way it was never intended to. And when you do that, we don't get the results that we were intended. Uh, we're going to talk about that idea throughout the story of Scripture, throughout the story of human history, four acts. We're going to look at the four traditional stages of the story of human history, creation, fall, redemption, and then consummation or, or new creation at the end. So today we're going to focus on creation and then each of the next coming days, we'll look at each of those stages and how this idea of what we are created for, being created in the image of God, how that develops and informs us more. Uh, and I want to kind of treat it as we walk through this, like four different acts in a play, a drama that's being played out here, and you can see that in the title wording there, or even kind of like four different panels in like a, a tapestry that tells a story, if you see some of those ancient tapestries that... that that have a narrative to that. Uh, so we're going to look through that. And if you're following along in your notes, if you're referencing your notes at all, we're going to look at what God is doing in each part of these stories. So that's God's action, God acts. Uh, and then we're going to look at what that means for us. What does that tell us about who we are, what we're supposed to be doing? That's man's script. Uh, so we're going to look at both of those categories, building day by day. Um, and then we're going to do a third little study as we're going through this, and it's what I'm calling threads, uh, with the, the kind of the idea of, of the, the tapestry there. Or this really just themes that we're going to be following throughout Scripture. Um, there are lots of different themes in Scripture, and I'm just kind of picking a few of them that, that really tie in most closely, perhaps, with, with the idea of the image of, of God here. Um, and we're going to build on those each week, or sorry, not each week, each, each lesson, each session that we're together. Um, and the reason I want to add those in is because uh, it, it just adds to the story. Uh, there's so much that God has woven into the narrative, the story of human history. And um, I want to awaken you, if to whatever degree you, you need to be awakened, to the things that, that I'm, I'm discovering as I study God's Word. Uh, and, and just give you at least a, the opportunity to be as amazed as I am at God's creative, intentional design in his story for us. Uh, so I encourage you to, to pay attention to those. Uh, at the same time, uh, there'll be a lot of different things we're talking about. So if you're one who likes to take notes, I, I may be someone who might frustrate you. Lots of different notes, lots of different scriptures. Don't try to, don't try to keep up. Just Focus on some of the, the main big ideas. If you really want to follow each of the, the cross-references and things like that, uh, I can give you a handout at the end of the week that you can follow up on and, and go after all those, those cross-references. Uh, so let's look now 
Genesis chapter 1, uh, we're going to look here. This first act in this story, the first thing that God does, and we're going to, I'm going to read along here. Okay, there we are. If you'll follow with me while I'm reading, I want you to pay attention to how many times does it say that God said something or that he called something or named something. So pay attention to that. Keep a tally while I'm reading through. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the water from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the water that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to his kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. Who was counting? How many times did God say something? At nine, nine total? Yes, so four times God said, and then five times he called. Uh, so I want to just point out, obviously, the main thing that God is doing here is creating, but he's doing it by what method? By speaking. Uh, the theological term is creation by fiat, by dictation. God is speaking this creation into existence. So what is God, what is God act? What is God's action in this phase? It's creation and speaking. Um, pay attention. Those will be themes that keep recurring as we go. This is the, the first phase of creation, the first three days. And uh, the narrative kind of breaks up in two sections of three. The first is creating the spaces, separating everything out. Uh, and then when we read this next paragraph, you'll see it's those spaces that then are then populated, filled uh, but one other theme I want to draw your attention to as we just read these first initial verses is how many times God created something distinct from something else. Uh, did anybody catch that? Can you think of something? What did God distinguish from something else as he was creating? Light and dark. Yes. He, uh, he created the lightness. The light separated the light from the dark. And he called one something and something else, the day and the night. He separated the heavens from the earth. He separated waters from each other. Uh, he separated the evening from the morning. And then he separated the waters from the earth. Uh, there are distinctions being made and things that are being made that this is this and it's not that. And this is this and it's not that. Uh, that's part of God's creation. And in fact, when God himself decided, in, intended to be a creator... He was creating, by default, something that was other than him. 
He was creating a creation. It was not the creator. There's a pattern here that we'll see continued on. I'll mention a little bit more here. Let's read the next couple verses and see how God then fills these things that he has created, starting in verse 14. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to his kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to his kind. And God saw that it was good. So now we have the, the heavens that were created are now filled with the heavenly bodies, the sun, the moon, and stars. The waters and the sky that were created are now filled with uh, with the fish and the birds of the air. And then the earth that was separated from the waters is now filled with these creatures. One more thing, obviously, one more part of this creation story and understood to be the, the pinnacle of creation, the creation of man. Follow along here in verse 26. Then God, <clears throat> excuse me, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Before we get into some more about the image of God here, as God describes his creation of man, the pattern continues. There is still a, a distinction that's being made, a couple distinctions being made with, uh, with the creation of man. Man is not the rest of creation. He is supposed to be over it. Man is supposed to inhabit the earth. He is not given a place to live in the seas. He is created in the image of God, and yet there are two distinctions within that. There is man and there is woman, both in the image of God and yet distinct from each other. Uh, another fundamental distinction, man is being created here, and even though he's being given authority, he is not God. He is still part of the creation. Um, so as, as we go on, uh, I want to take a moment just to, to try to help us acknowledge God creating different things is a part of the glory of his creation. God creating diversity 
in all of the different types of creation, uh, but especially within the, the human population, is a good thing. Um, th there's a lot of tension over that, uh, and, and it's not the intent of, of my talks this week to get into everything that's related to that or try to, to answer every part of, of those tensions. Uh, but, but one truth that we can see in God's creation is that people being different from each other is not an inherently bad thing. Uh, a, a man being a man and a woman being a woman is not an inherently bad thing. Uh, it is in God's goodness for uh, him to create us different and for us to be only what he created us to be. Uh, that is part of God's goodness because after this narrative, he, he describes all that. We get to the conclusion of this summary of creation, verse 31. God saw everything that he made and behold, you know the words, it was very good. Not just good like every other stage of the day, a double affirmation, it was very good. And there was evening and morning, the sixth day. A uh, little bit here into ch chapter 2, kind of continues that idea. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So there's a pattern here even that God is setting up. God is creating for these six, week, six days of this week, and then on the seventh day, he rests from that work. Now, it's not completely done doing anything. Is, is God still active in doing things in, in the world? Hopefully, yeah. Does anybody, what is God still doing? He's not still creating, but what is God still doing? Saving souls? He's preserving. He's yeah. He is maintaining the creation, created world that he uh, that he created. Uh, Colossians one reminds us of that that in him all things hold together. Uh, but there's a pattern of him doing the work of creation and then being done with it uh, after a time. Um, we'll get back to that in just a minute. But the other part of the the story here, if we're looking at the part uh, of God's action in this scene, God is creating by words. Well, there's another part of that, with the intent of dwelling, okay? He's not just creating this space and then leaving it. He's creating this space with the intent of dwelling. If you'll pick up with me, chapter 2, verse 7. A little bit of an additional description of the creation of man here. Then the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I'm sorry. Yes, that's what it meant. Verse 10, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third is Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it, 
and keep it. Very clear description of a lush place that God created to put man. And then we read, kind of ahead of the story here from chapter 3, after things turn sour, Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Uh, So we're jumping ahead of the story a little bit, but even that was looking back on this thing that happened, that God was in the garden with Adam and Eve. He had created this place where he could dwell with them. God dwelling with man. And this is the, uh, the uniting of two different things. One of the cool patterns we see, not just that God created distinctions in everything and, and good things that were different from each other, and that's a part of God's glory, uh, but God also is glorified in a special way when he unites things that are different from each other. Here we see the dwelling of God and man in one space. Things that are very different from each other, but God is glorified in them being united. Uh, We'll see some more of that as we go. Let's look at man's part of the story now, man's script here. We read in these verses that man has the breath of life breathed into him. A very different way than everything else that had been created, who is fashioned out of the dust, and then God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Uh, it reminds me of the, the old hymn, I Sing the Mighty Power of God. The, the phrase in there says, While all that borrows life from thee is ever in thy care. Uh, this life that we have, and it's something we probably don't often think about, the fact that we have breath in our lungs and, and a heartbeat and every second of conscious life, is something that's borrowed from God is because he's given it to us. Uh, and uh, it's a special importance that we make sure that we know we are living this life borrowed from God in the way that it was intended to. Uh, and again, the image of God is one of the ideas that goes along with that, that tells us a lot about that. Uh, if you read any books, any commentaries, A lot of people try to summarize the image of God in lots of different ways. Um, I'm not going to try to resolve all of that. I think there are lots of really good answers about what the image of God is. Um, And we'll look at a few different things. But as we think about that, I think about the image of God in two different ways. The image of God tells us ways that we are meant to be like God, and ways that we are not meant to be like God. It, that may not make sense right away. Um, hopefully I can make sense of that for you here. Being in the image of God is supposed to help us, it's supposed to mean that we are like God in some ways, and that we are not like God in some ways. Um, a couple of years ago, I'm sorry, just last year, last year my wife and I had a chance to go I'll get away for our 15-year anniversary, and we got to go spend some time out in the mountains and the Jackson Hole area, see Yellowstone, and these are the Grand Tetons, and uh, just loved it. Beautiful place. And I have this picture here for you to show you what it is like, to show you how beautiful the place it is. So this is a picture, an actual literal image that is showing you 
something of what the actual Grand Tetons are like. Uh, and hopefully you can see at least a little bit from, from this 2D image some of the beauty that is there. But it also inherently is not like the thing that it represents, right? If I were telling you that you could spend a lot of money, fly out there, and see this image projected on a wall out there, would you go out to see it? No, this is inherently not like the original. This is an image of the original, right? Uh, it points to something greater than itself. This is an indication of the beauty that you could see and spend your time in that, that is greater than this picture can represent. In those ways, our role as an image bearer of God, that God has created man in his image, is meant for us to be like him in some ways, to show what he's like, but we're limited. There is no way that we can adequately represent him in full. And so our, our limitations as people, as created beings, indicate the things that we are not like God in, indicate that there is something greater in the person that we represent. I want to give some three ideas about what that looks like. Uh, you have a bullet point list there. They're not a tight bullet list. There's a lot of overlap in these ideas, but hopefully that can help you a little bit. One of the ideas in being the image of God is being a steward, or uh, what we call the dominion mandate, that God told man to fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, every living creature that moves on the earth. So being a steward. So in some ways, that means we're not like God. This is a delegated responsibility. This isn't something that mankind assumed himself because he created everything. Man is in the delegated role here. Uh, it is for the glory of someone else. It's not for our, for our own glory. But in some ways, this responsibility of being a steward is, is being like God. We're supposed to be working like God did. Uh, the work of creation that God created, spent six days doing, and then rested, uh, he is passing on that responsibility to man created in his image here. The earth is not complete. Uh, man is told to tend the garden and to keep it and then fill the earth. And I think the idea there is that the garden is the place of finished perfection in God's creation where God can dwell with man, but the rest of the earth is not that garden. And man's responsibility is to make it that garden, to finish the work that God started in those six days, but he has rested from. And by implication, man, work, finish it, and then he would be able to rest from that labor as well, working towards that goal of completion. The, the word of having dominion here is a, a kingly word, a, kind of an absolute, uh, you're, I don't know if despot is the word, but man is given complete authority over parts of creation here. Um, but I think there's still the idea of, of being a steward. You're under somebody else, uh, kind of like King David. We call him King David, but he called himself a prince, knowing that he was only king under God. If you notice, I just said dominion over parts of the earth. The dominion mandate does not extend over all of creation. If you go back to verse 28, uh, it describes a few specific things that man has dominion over. Uh, the animals, the, the, the things on land. Man was not given dominion over the seas themselves. 
Uh, man was not given dominion over the skies or, or space beyond. And uh, yeah, as much as I like a, a sci- science fiction story about space colonization and things like that, we just we don't have dominion over the vastness of space. We don't have dominion over, over the seas. Some people said we even know more about our own, the moon than we know about our own oceans. We don't have dominion over those things. Another idea here, man is supposed to be a steward in being the image of God. Man is also supposed to obey In creating him and putting him in the garden, the Lord God gave one rule. And what was that rule? Shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can find that in verse 17. Verse 16, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, including the tree of life. Which if they had remained in obedience, they could have... Uh, finished their job and kept eating of this tree of life for all of eternity and, and dwelt with God in all of eternity, but shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And in that statement, even this is happening before Genesis 3, before fall, the fall, before sin enters the world, God is already acknowledging the possibility of disobedience and therefore death. This is chapter 2, not chapter 3. Um, because of that, there's potential for judgment. Uh, another thing I want to, to help us acknowledge here as we're looking at this, in all of God's creation, God is creating these trees, and this is a special zoomed-in section of the story of, of creation, uh, but it still falls under the, the overall heading of God created everything good. He created this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, So it was good, but he said what? Don't eat of it. He's not saying that because it's an inherently evil tree. It's something that he created that was good. He told Adam and Eve that they couldn't have it. So God, pointing out something to them that was good, and he said what? He said, hands off. And again, this happened before the fall, and that is good. In our world, with all the different voices going on around us, the, the wisdom from below that Pastor Steve was talking about just this morning, uh, and I think even the voices of our own heart, we're, we're tempted to think that somebody telling us no is in no way good. We're, we're being told that a God who would say, no, you can't do that, or you can't have that, is not a good God. That's not what Genesis is telling us. It's in God's goodness to not give us everything. We don't need everything for God to demonstrate his goodness to us. He had given them every other plant yielding fruit, chapter 1, verse 29 and 30. They didn't need that one tree, and God pointed that out to them. You don't need that, just don't eat of it. We'll see how that develops. Obviously, most of you don't need any clues how that's going to go tomorrow. One other aspect of the image of God here. Man is created to worship. 
both this, this one and the one before, obeying and worship, uh, these are ways that we're not like God. Obeying, uh, we're created to obey an external set of rules. In no way is God like that. Here with worship, uh, we're, we're not like God either. God deserves worship. He created us to be the ones that worship. Um, one of the ways that we see this in this text is we are created to receive revelation. God said in verse 29, I'm sorry, verse 28 of chapter 1, says, and God blessed them, and what comes next? And God, somebody say it. I forgot to tell you, I'm, I'm kind of on the introvert side, so I'm really comfortable with awkward silences. So please feel free. The longer you wait to give an answer, it's only your comfort zone that's kind of in jeopardy. Uh, not mine. Um, okay, verse 28. And God blessed them and God said to them. Part of him blessing them is him speaking to them. This is not a God who creates and then steps back. This is not a God who creates and kind of just hides in the shadows. He opens up his mouth and speaks to his creation to tell them who they are. We are revelation receivers. That's part of what it means to, to worship, and we hear God speaking to us. Another way we're not like God in, in this worshiping category, we're supposed to glorify him. And glorify is another big word, big category, can mean a lot of different things. For us, as we go through, if you, if you want to write down these phrases, and we'll build on them, glorifying God or worshiping God is beholding him and then bearing witness and excuse me, beholding him and becoming. Two parallel ideas here with worshiping. Beholding and bearing witness, beholding and becoming. We're supposed to behold him, see who he is. Part of that is hearing from him, receiving that revelation, and then bear witness to the rest of creation to extend his glory over the rest of the earth, not just in the garden. Uh, the words, uh, sorry, next part there. Um, Beholding and becoming. The idea of us supposed to be becoming like him. Uh, if we're imitating God, uh, we must see him, behold him, to know who he is so we can become like him. And if we do a little backwards reasoning here to make sense of that, to, to understand worship in this initial setting, uh, later on in the Old Testament, Israel is repeatedly condemned for their idol worship. Uh, they worship all these idols. And one of the things that God charges them with and, and kind of makes fun of them for is the idea that they become like who they worship, the type of idol that they worship. They start becoming like him. And that's a corruption of the idea uh, that is present here in the Garden of Eden. We are created to be an image of God. We're supposed to see who he is and then be like him. So part of worship is becoming like the person that we're worshiping. So worship is one of these aspects of original creation. see here. The next section we need to definitely pay attention to is the image of God. We already mentioned this a little bit, 
both male and female created in the image of God. We read in chapter 2, verse 18, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper for him. We see down in verse 22 how God makes that happen. The rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is at last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his mother and his father, father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. We see here both male, female, man and woman, both full representation of the image of God, and then the idea introduced here of the uniting of these two different things in marriage, a man and a woman united to become one flesh, and in their different genders, their different roles, too, united to, in a different way, reflect the image of God. Man is given this responsibility of, over, of spreading God's glory over the whole earth, taking dominion, and yet he needs a helper for that. So a woman was created, and them working together is accomplishing the role of the image of God in a way that uh, is not seen in just one individual who fully represents the image of God. Uh, it's, I don't want it to sound at all like if you're single, you're missing out on being able to glorify God and the image of God in one way. Uh, the truth is there that every individual bears the image of God, uh, but we see that God's image is so baked into the created human beings that it's represented and seen in all these different dimensions, individually, corporately, unified in relationship. And we'll see that as we, we look further on. Let's finish up here. And I'm just going to give you a little teaser now of all of the threads. Hopefully you're like, oh, hell, halfway through. Um, these are just the beginning teasers of, of these little threads. Um, and what we're going to do, we're going to follow these as we go throughout the rest of the story of Scripture the rest of the story of the image of God. Uh, the first one here is uh, the garden. That's an obvious one here. Where is this all taking place? In the garden. Uh, this is in contrast to the rest of the finished world. Uh, it's a place where God dwells with man, and that's closely associated with the second one here, which is the temple. They're closely associated, at least in this idea here, and the garden is kind of like uh, the beginning temple, the proto-temple where God dwells with man. Uh, but we're going to, as we follow those threads throughout Scripture, the story, they're both going to have kind of their own story, so they're separate on my list here for right now. Um, next one on the list is the tree. God created all of these trees, gave them for plants, uh, a sign of God's provision. I'm sorry, gave them as food for Adam and Eve and, and the animals. Uh, so it's a sign of God's provision. Uh, there's a distinction between this is a good tree to eat, this is a not a tree that you should eat, a tree that brings life and a tree that will bring death, uh, unfortunately. Uh, that's also associated with the, the fourth thread here, uh, food. Another, uh, another real metaphor for God's provision for us as we follow that throughout the rest of the story. Uh, but also not God's just provision, but also man's choice. God said you could eat of this tree, but you should not eat of this tree. Things that God had created and provided, uh, and then man was presented with the choice. Last thread here is 
I'm sorry, two more. Clothing. Where do we see clothing in here? There's not. And that's part of the point. Man was created, they were naked, and they were not ashamed. I don't think that that suggests that that was intended for all of eternity. Uh, As we see that theme develop in Scripture, uh, the idea is that uh, when their work was done, maybe they would have been then clothed with something uh, as a sign of their completed task and that they were done ruling over the earth. Uh, There's a little bit of speculation there, but hopefully you'll see some of that as we go on. Uh, And then, of course, marriage is another thread that we will see throughout all of these things are, are things in their own right. They aren't just allegories. They aren't just metaphors. And they only serve to point to something else. These are true things. Marriage is a true thing in and of itself. And at a family camp, I think it's definitely worth highlighting uh, the goodness of God's design. And we'll see how that, that pays a, plays out a little bit throughout the story. But it does tell us even more about uh, the role that we have in bearing the, the image of God. So we'll follow these threads. Uh, again, tomorrow morning uh, and each of the next days. Uh, foundational to setting the stage, who we are, who we're created to be. Uh, but even as you go tonight and you're waiting, you know, it's kind of that story to play out. Uh, I want you to think, um, spend some time thinking uh, where, where some of that, what we read here uh, and some of what I've said may rub up against uh, what we hear in our culture, what we hear in our world about what, what is good uh, in creation? Maybe in your own heart, can, can you reconcile with the fact that God created you to be who you are and not something else? And God created things that were good and you don't get to have them. And that, that is in God's goodness. Uh, I want you to consider that. That will be part of your, your study tomorrow morning as well. Uh, but let's pray about that uh, and then we'll finish for tonight. God, we thank you. Uh, For your words of truth, we thank you that you tell us the beginning of our story. You tell us where we come from. We pray that you would give us uh, confidence in knowing who we are as we see what you say in your word. We pray that that would build throughout this week, that you would give us greater understanding of who we are as we go. Uh, And even now, God, even the rest of our day tonight, uh, the rest of our hours that we're awake, Uh, that by your grace we would bear your image well. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.